Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I am your host, Steve Hall, and I have a great guest with us today, Cliff Wilson. So Cliff Wilson is a professional natural bodybuilder himself, um, but I think is probably more so even known, and I think this is credit to him for all of the athletes that he brings to stage in fantastic condition. Um, bodybuilders, female, male, physique athletes, the like, all of them. And I mean, we're just talking off air about how much Cliff cares about how people look on stage and how much he's invested in that. And it's clear with the level of athlete that he brings to stage. And just going over some of kind of Cliff's credentials quickly, and I, I looked over Cliff's about page and I didn't actually kind of, I wasn't aware of this, but Cliff's clients have amused amassed rather amused uh, amassed over 70 pro cards and over 30 professional titles and multiple world champions that's like that's something to be incredibly proud of and it kind of speaks a lot to what cliff's about and how much knowledge he's got to bring um and then also i wanted to say how i loved this little quote from your about page and it was his goal as a coach is simple help every athlete achieve their ultimate potential regardless of their current level which I think is brilliant not to have kind of, you see there's coaches out there will only take on a certain level of athlete. They don't want to kind of expend their energy on maybe a lower quality athlete in their eyes, but you are willing to work with everyone and bring out the best in everyone, which is very similar to myself. And I think a lot of coaches listening to this will probably kind of, that will ring true to them. So I think that's fantastic. And yeah, if there's anything, I, I, I just, I've heard of a lot about Cliff kind of for many years. I'm sure lots of our audience know who Cliff is. And uh, I just kind of am interested to hear more about your approaches because we know a lot about kind of um, your peak weeking approaches. I'm sure we've people have heard all about rapid uh, backloading and things like that. But we wanted to talk about something a bit different today. Uh, but was there anything else you wanted to add, Cliff, or uh, is did I manage to cover enough for you? Oh, I I appreciate it. That was uh, that was uh, I, that was a uh, quite the introduction. I'm not sure if I, I I deserve all that, but thank you again for having me on today. No, 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 my pleasure completely. And I, I mean, everyone's super interested in um, kind of when it comes to bodybuilding, there's so much mystery. And when there's coaches out there who are getting tremendous results, people want to know what they're doing to get that. So uh, the fact that you're willing to share your knowledge is really helpful. And I mean, you do it on Facebook almost every day with Facebook posts. And I'm sure a lot of people following you on there already learn a lot. So um, no, I appreciate you saying inside the time. And the first thing I wanted to get into um, is your quote or a quote that a lot of people might have heard from you and your kind of brand is intensity is everything. Um, and I just wanted to kind of, I, I've heard people say it, I've heard your, I've seen clients of yours say it, and I just wanted to know from you, what exactly did you mean by that? Um, because a lot of people kind of hear intensity, they might think load on the bar or things along those sort of lines. But yeah, I wanted to hear it from yourself, Cliff. Yeah, you know, it, intensity is kind of something that, uh, you know, I have a private uh, Facebook group for just my clients and where we kind of talk about things and intensity is everything is one of those. It's a slogan that I use just to kind of remind them it has nothing to do with training. If I'm being honest, uh, it has nothing to do with training. It's just about the way you approach everything in your life. Uh, one big influence was one of my uh, high school basketball coaches and uh, he would always say a lot of people play with emotion. Very few people play with intensity. And uh, he said, emotion will fade over time. Uh, it'll come and it'll go and it'll leave you when it's most important. And uh, he said, intensity is consistent and it's steady. And um, I think far too many people in bodybuilding in particular 
um, it's too too much of an emotional experience. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not steady, and um, and so I always ask people to uh, gauge what sort of intensity they're bringing day in day out. And, uh, and, and I'm sure you've seen this too, when it comes to bodybuilding and, or coaching, I see a lot of coaches come and go and bodybuilders come and go. And, um, the ones that really do something special are the ones that bring a consistent level of high intensity, Mm -hmm. uh, for years. It's not, you know, it's not a few months. It's not a year. It's not even two years. It's, you know, seven, eight, 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I always ask my clients to remember that their level of intensity that they're bringing every single day, um, that's what's going to determine their success. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. And yeah, I think it, I think thinking about it in that sense, in terms of not necessarily training, not nutrition, and just generally in life, bring intensity, kind of actually have purpose and kind of approach life with, yeah, act. I love the word purpose. That <laughs> yeah. is a great word. Cause I, I, you know, I, th- I was even talking about this recently on my Facebook page. I, I do think a lot of people, pe- people just kind of sleepwalk through their life. Um, you know, they just do what they're supposed to do. You know, they go to high school and then they go to college and then they meet a guy or a girl that, yeah, they, it, they date them for a while, but you know, maybe it was just time to get married and they mm-hmm. get married and they have kids and they get their job and it's just, they just kind of follow the steps of the plan, but they don't seem particularly passionate about anything they're doing. Yeah. yeah I think, and I think as bodybuilders and the best bodybuilders, you can see it. They have lots of purpose. They have lots of intent. Um, so yeah, that, that rings true. And, um, that will kind of, we're probably, they will probably come out during our discussion kind of ways in which you can be, um, intense and you can be in, have intensity through your kind of lifestyle and what your approach is going to be, because we're going to be talking about kind of rather than traditionally people have got you on and talked about peak week, we're going to be talking about after peak week. So, um, People have probably heard of reverse dieting. That's kind of gone out of favor. And someone might have heard of kind of 3DMJ's recovery diet. And that's kind of become more of a positive approach to that time. But a lot of people know this, like the post-contest blues. Kind of you've, you finish your competition and you're not really happy with where you are in your life now because you're kind of like, oh, I'm not getting shredded anymore. I haven't got a purpose. This, what we've just been talking about. So... Um, that's something I definitely wanted to get your perspective on because obviously, I mean, we've just spoken about all the high level athletes you've got and it's such an important time, or at least I believe it's quite an important time not to really, really screw up because you can, uh, screw it up and people have in the past. So if we turn on to first kind of the, maybe the physiology behind kind of that period of time and what you do with maybe your nutrition and training, um, and I'm sure we're kind of developed into a discussion through that, Cliff. Yeah, yeah, fire away. Let me know Let me know where to start and we'll go for it. Cool. So I, I guess I spoke of the reverse diet and the recovery diet. So if we start with nutritional interventions kind of after that show, assuming there's no other shows inbound, you're kind of entering your off season. How do you like to approach that period of time? Do you go straight into kind of a surplus? Do you take some time to just kind of go straight to maintenance? Um, or do you use a kind of tippy-toe reverse approach? Or I guess it depends on the individual as well. Um, well, I will start right with what you said in that it does depend on the individual. Um, if I get the sense that somebody is really just hanging on by a thread, uh, then my aggressiveness towards adding food will will um, be a lot more so. I'll, I'll, 
I'll push food uh, increases quite a bit faster if somebody's just kind of at the end of their rope ready to be done with it. Um, because if I don't do it, then they're going to do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so I would rather have some sort of control. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I will say I, I was talking, you mentioned 3DMJ's recovery diet. And I was talking with Alberto Nunez about this recently because um, we did a, we had a speaking engagement together and uh, we were discussing it while I was picking him up from the airport. And uh, I think a lot of people think the old school uh, reverse diet, you know, they have adding 10 carbs per week, you know, ridiculously slow. Um, now, I don't remember the precise parameters of the recovery diet, but the gist of it was that I believe you want to gain around six pounds very quickly or seven pounds very quickly. And then, you know, you gain rather quickly mm -hmm. from there. I would say uh, if this is the spectrum we're dealing with, I'm somewhere in here. Cool. Uh, and, and because um, my, my reasoning for it um, from a physiological standpoint, okay, so obviously you don't want somebody to stay uh, ridiculously lean uh, because their hormones will remain suppressed. They're going to feel like crap, and they're just delaying how much muscle they can put on because this food isn't coming in. You're still in a deficit. Uh, the, the reason I don't go as far away with the recovery diet is because um, in the early stages, you are pretty uh, set up to rebuild lost muscle tissue from yeah. your training. And so um, you can stay at a point for a little bit where while hormones like testosterone may not be fully recovered, um, and for those that don't know, uh, if you're a natural bodybuilder and you've prepped for a contest, your testosterone will be seriously suppressed. If you think it's not, you're wrong. <laughs> so, um, and so, uh, but you can rebuild, regrow lost muscle tissue without testosterone levels reaching 100%. Yeah. Um, and I know that there are some studies out there that show that you know, any uh, hormone uh, drops you see, and in cortisol, by the way, is very, very high as well at the end of a prep. So I've seen some studies that show that hormones will generally get back to normal within a few weeks after that. But I don't think those studies were done on competitors mm -hmm. <laughs> because one thing I've seen with competitors, even ones that get back to their body weight very, very quickly, it still takes, yeah. this, it still takes three to four or five, even six months to get back to normal, um, regardless of how fast you gain that weight back. Yeah. Um, I've just seen a lot of hormone panels from a lot of competitors over the year, and it seems like you cannot, to a certain extent, you cannot rush the process. Um, so anyway, my, uh, my reasoning for going a bit slower than the recovery diet is that we can add food in significant amounts, but if you put it around training, performance will obviously increase because you have more energy coming in than what you did at the end of your diet. So this is one of the rare times where I believe you can recomp a little bit. Cool. Um, you can rebuild muscle tissue even without adding fat or even possibly getting a little bit leaner because you're adding significant amounts of energy, performance is increasing. And when performance increases, if you're putting weight on the bar and increasing the weight on the bar, the body will tend to build muscle. So um, in that instance, I'll try to do that. Now, the rate at which I do it, I'm kind of gauging the psychological and where the person's at, yeah. both physically and mentally. Um, now, I will try to maybe push at a pound per week, you know, uh, even a half pound, you know, maybe a pound and a half, just really depending where they're at. Yeah. But uh, it's one of those instances where I can add food in a steady manner and we can, the, the goal 
isn't to necessarily add weight. It will happen. But the goal is to increase performance. Yes. Because if we increase performance, there is going to obviously be a composition change. And then that that's where we're going to see the changes that we want. And then also I view if, if there's the goal to – if the goal is to add weight as quickly as possible to get back to normal, the way I view it is you are limiting the length of your growth time. Because usually yeah. a lot of us regain weight. And then we hit a point where we say, oh, that's a little too far. I need a little mini cut to bring it back down. Yeah. Well, if we jump up here, well, then we've just limited how much total growth time we're going to have. Whereas if somebody jumps up here quickly and then I just keep going like this, while they start coming back down, I'm still going up. So that's that's my approach is I'm trying to increase the length of their growth period. Yeah. No, that makes really good sense. And I guess a lot of what you talked about will depend on, like you said, it's individual, but the, it, a lot of it depends on what they've done prior to getting to that position. So if they've had to have lost like 30 pounds to have got to stage and they've been dieting for like 30 plus weeks, whereas someone who's maybe lost 15 pounds and they've only been dieting like 15, 15 weeks, it's like, well, they're going to have a lot less stress than that other person. They can probably take a much slower approach coming out. They're maybe in a more favorable position. But like you said, it's completely individual. And when we're talking about uh, increasing food coming out of that period of time are you doing it mainly through carbohydrates or are you doing it through increases in all the macronutrients how are you approaching that sort of angle uh, I, I in the early stages I don't add protein uh, I keep protein pretty steady because once again my my early goal is to just increase energy yeah and so fats and carbs are the number one ways to do it usually it's gonna be significant amounts of carbs and then fats, I'll sort of bump up a few grams at a time um, because also that starts to, because I, bodybuilders are really all or nothing creatures. I, I mean, we're all guilty of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even the more balanced of us, the general population looks at us like we have something seriously wrong with us. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, that's also where I think a lot of people go wrong with post-contest is, you know, they've been all for a long time. And then they switch immediately to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I think that um, adding fats incrementally, while fats aren't going to have a direct increase on training performance because it's not used as fuel for mm -hmm. weight training, uh, it can have an indirect increase because they uh, that fat will be used throughout the day. They're going to feel a little bit better with a higher fat intake, and then it'll indirectly lead to better training. But also, I think it's beneficial from a psychological standpoint yeah. because it starts to slowly open them up to new foods. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, I've often found, and I've experimented with it years in the past, where I would add maybe 20 grams of fat just to get them right there. You can start eating. Um, when you sort of, it sort of takes off the reins too quickly, yeah. if that makes sense. And a lot of people are trying to just get everything in, and they have trouble controlling themselves then. Um, but I find if you bump up a few grams of fat, um, here and there, it slowly opens up this world of new foods that they haven't had been able to fit in their macros for a while. Um, so that's my my main reasoning behind that. No, I really like that. And you touched on how the kind of psychological and physiological. I mean, they're inherently like combined. They're not. You can't completely separate them at all. But in terms of you talked about obviously increased fats and that allows for extra foods or different foods that you might have had off um, off your plan. What about kind of the post contest do you allow any free meals or things like this for that kind of is this more psychological reasons i guess we're getting into a little bit here as well uh for, for the post contest i first off first thing i look at is when is their next show yeah. um 
if it's two weeks from that date, um, then I'm probably going to give them a specific meal out to eat, a steak and a potato. You know, go to a restaurant and get a steak and a potato because I can't just say have a free meal because too many loose ends and I don't have a guarantee that we can be back to where we need to be by the time that show um, comes around. So, um, you know, once I – I would even say four weeks is a little bit tricky, depending on the person you're dealing with. Yeah. Um, anybody that's ever coached athletes know that you could say, go have a free meal to two different people, and they're going to do two drastically different things with that free meal. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and so, uh, so I, if they're just going into their off season after their show's done, I will just say have a free meal. Yeah. Um, and then typically the following day, I look at who I'm who I'm dealing with, you know, you get to know somebody over the course of their prep. And if you're prepping yourself, you need to know how you are. Um, if, if I'm dealing with somebody that I know has a tendency to overeat, uh, for the following day, I will say, here are some macros for you, but I'll make them very high, uh, very high, you know, high, way higher than a car- high carbohydrate or a refeed day. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's no reason to go as low as that. So I'll give them very high macros for the next day but it sort of keeps some structure in place for them. But if it's somebody that I know doesn't tend to overeat, um, I will say (laughs) the thing I always tell them is enjoy a free yet responsible day. They don't have to count. They don't have to count macros. They can have a few meals out, but they should be responsible. And then, uh, and then I usually find that come Monday, um, that allows me to be in a good spot moving forward where I, where I'm not looking at their weight going, Oh shit. How do we get, you know, where do we go from here? So uh, that that usually has people feeling a little recharged after a free meal and then either a very high calorie day or a um, free yet responsible day. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's, yeah, like you said, and we've touched on it several times already, how you have to know the individual because I've certainly had clients who really need actually to be quite controlled after their competitions because they would, if you just told them that they had kind of, uh, like a bit of a break they would just go off wild whereas like someone like myself I'm extremely controlled I almost need to be forced to be like have a break sometimes because I will just try and control every element there with regards to well, I know oh sorry go for it oh well I was just gonna say uh, I actually just talked about this recently but uh, the one phrase if I'm if I'm going into a show with somebody and they, there's one phrase that some people say to me when they talk about their post-show period um, that I know they're about to go off the rails. It's when they say, uh, after my show, I kind of want to take a week or two where I don't count macros. Uh, and I just, and they go, I don't look, I don't, I'm not looking to go too crazy with it or anything, but I just want to enjoy a little, enjoy myself a little bit. Mm-hmm. It sounds, sounds really harmless. <laughs> it sounds like, oh yeah, it's just going to be totally relaxed. It's never like that at all. That is a person that is already starting to justify overeating in their mind. Yeah. They don't even they don't even realize it. But every person that has ever said that to me in their in my career has found themselves two weeks post show, twenty to thirty pounds up, and then wondering what the hell happened. Um, so I would say if that's your mindset going into your show, you know, for the post show period. I would be aware that that is a major pitfall waiting to snatch you up in a trap. Yeah. And yeah, I can, I've had similar scenarios where clients have purposely like, but like they want to book holidays literally 
kind of a couple of days off their show and i'm like it sounds like a cool idea because yeah go away and like relax because you put in so much hard work but it's gonna really set you up for failure coming on after and i can say that you're right if you schedule a, a vacation or a holiday after uh, a week or two after your show that is ugh, you're you're in a bad that's a dangerous trap right there and you know last year when i did my show i booked um a vacation with my wife and we did it for eight or nine weeks post contest. And I we did that specifically because we knew that at that point I would be one, have my calories high enough to be able to enjoy myself a little bit more. And two, being able to enjoy myself with meals out to where I wasn't constantly battling with keeping things under control. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I could eat a meal and I could get to a point where I could say, This isn't enough. Because in those first few weeks after a show, it's never enough. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, be aware of that. Yeah, Good I think, point. I mean, it's, a, it, it's to the point where where you can go out and have a restaurant meal where you don't need to have ridiculous high-volume foods through the day to be able to in, like eat that meal and not feel ravenous. If you can go out and enjoy a meal and not have to do weird stuff with your food beforehand, that's kind of a good sign, I guess, that your hunger's under control. Um, because... Yeah, I think a lot of people almost go too far after their post-show and they're like, oh, now I can eat like a normal person. But in reality, they, they're still like they're almost more hungry. Like people have talked about how the post-show period is even harder. And I guess I don't know if it's because psychologically you're a bit switched off or the, the body gets a bit of food, it sees a bit of light, so it wants even more and it starts craving it even more. Just Do you see that with clients? They even seem more hungry after their show. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I, I always uh, tell people it, it is you're, you're, you're correct. It's a combination of once again, physiological and psychological because you can't separate the two. Uh, psychologically, you have before the show, you have incentive. You know, you obviously have physiological, uh, a physiological situation that is driving you to want to eat. Um, but you have incentive to not eat. <laughs> and, uh, and then all of a sudden, just like that, the incentive is removed, which is, um, you know, some people don't even see that coming. You know, it hits them all of a sudden. But then as you start eating, um, a lot of people think, well, if I just get my calories up very high, you know, if somebody's eating 100 carbohydrates per day uh, before their show, they think, well, if I take it back up to 400, I'll feel better. You still won't feel better mm -hmm. because uh, also a lot of people don't understand that hunger isn't driven most often by incoming food. Well, it is to a certain degree because, you know, that that will alter your leptin levels a little bit. Hunger is largely driven by the size of your body fat cells, yeah. uh, the fullness. You know, if, you're, if your body fat cells, if your body still perceives your body fat cells as depleted, you're still going to be hungry no matter how much food is coming in. Yeah. You, could eat, you could probably eat 800 carbohydrates per day and you're still going to want more. And so, uh, you know, I think people need to realize that there's a lot of traps in those first few weeks of thinking, oh, if I just get my food up fast, I'll feel better. You still won't feel better. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, I think, I always think of it as like people know there's a delayed training effect in that you don't get kind of, you're not your strongest when you're training to get your strongest kind of, you see, you reap the rewards afterwards. And the same like with dieting, kind of almost half the time you've been dieting is repairing from that dieting that's happened. The body's still kind of, it's still kind of in a bad state, so you need to give it time. Like you said, it, testosterone takes quite a long time for actually to come back up, even if you're fully back to your normal body fat levels. What I did want to touch on, and you kind of talked about it, and I wasn't sure whether you use this approach, in that 
with your approach, you say sometimes you see a bit of a body recomposition, which is awesome. And it kind of, if a person gets that, they're actually looking even better than what they did on their show day. Do you ever try and approach it so you have that happening before the shows uh, or even like consecutive shows? Do you set it up like that? I, I do. I do. Um, and I would say that's my usual approach. Nice. Obviously, obviously, if something goes uh, now, one thing, I, I mean, this some of this comes into peaking and some of it's genetics, but one thing people always tell me is my clients look like they had like paper thin skin. Um, and I believe that that's one of the factors that causes that because a lot of people, um, I don't think, I don't think a lot of people plan it enough, but if you experience it where food is actively coming down, your skin just tends to look a little, uh, softer. Um, and I, I really believe it's because, you know, you have depleted muscle mass and then if you can slowly bring food back up, then you, even a small amount, you rebuild a pound, pound and a half, maybe two pounds of muscle that you lost in the process of dieting. Um, it pushes out more tightly against the skin, makes your skin stretch a little bit more subtle differences like that. They show on stage. So I do plan that out. Um, Now, now it's not always feasible with everyone because, you know, maybe they just didn't lose as fast as we thought. But generally, I try to have people ready three to four weeks out. Nice. That's really cool. And I guess uh, related to that, and I guess a big part of what we've been talking about is like stress. And if you're bringing food up, you're actively hopefully bringing stress down, cortisol's coming down. If they were holding on to any water, like subcutaneously, then that's helping to get that tighter look as well. Um, and I really wanted to throw out a tilapia joke, but <laughs> I think everyone will get that reference. So it's, it's not the yeah. tilapia you're programming them in their reverse diet that's getting them <laughs> the paper thin skin. Um, so, so we've talked about nutrition. We kind of got that, and I think that's really well laid out. In terms of training, how do you approach that? Do you kind of adjust training volumes? Do you adjust it at all? Cardio, what do you go with that? Uh, for <clears throat> cardio. I'll say that going into the show, cardio is always my last resort. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people, people that have followed me know that I did my entire last contest prep and I did zero cardio nice. um, going into my show. Yeah, if possible, I try to prep people on zero cardio. Um, I'll push food a lot lower because the results are just better the lower yeah. the cardio you have. I'd rather reduce food. Um, but then post-show, I try to get cardio out as quickly as possible um, to, for two reasons. One, people are going to just feel better when they're not having to do a lot of cardio and two, um, bodybuilding prep is consuming of your day. You pose for a long time, you do cardio, you train. Um, and so if somebody has been doing 45 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it may be, uh, of cardio, maybe daily, five days per week, if you can get that out of there, they have more time in their day Mm -hmm. and it just gets them back to regular life more quickly. Um, so from that aspect, I try to get that out. Um, now as far as training, um, once again, I, it's going to be based largely upon the individual, but I know a lot of people will, um, reduce training volume. The number of sets we'll say, uh, over the course of prep, as you become more tired and then post show, they will bump the volume back up Mm -hmm. for me in terms of number of sets and reps, I keep it steady all the way through. Cool. Um, I, I do not reduce going into the show because uh, strength drops are going to happen naturally. And so really it's sort of self-regulating volume reduces yeah. over the course of time because you're just not as strong. 
And the way I view it is the body regulates that accordingly and it will reduce the volume appropriately. So then post-show, I really don't pump the volume up either. Strength, it will self-regulate once again. As energy comes up, strength will come up. Total volume then comes up. Uh, so I don't see the need to reduce or increase volume as a whole because mm -hmm. it becomes a self-regulating manner. Um, it, I focus a lot around performance. Um, I do tend to remove things like heavier squats and heavier deadlifts in the final parts of prep. Cool. Uh, one, to, one, to avoid injury. Yeah. And I feel like they are... Um, Energy's at a very energy and recovery are at a very are at a very high premium in the final weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's not something that is readily available. So uh, I feel like heavy squats and heavy deadlifts are um, uh, disproportionately taxing to the body, mm -hmm. and I don't think it's a great time to be focusing on you know four or five reps squat, squats and deadlifts. And so then I'll reintroduce those back into the plan um, for a few reasons. One, I think. As food comes up, the body's a little more uh, able to recover from that. Mm -hmm. But also, there, also there's an element of fun um, yeah. because it's fun when you have food coming in and those the squats and deadlifts are going to come back up quickly. And so um, it, it gives people, like we talked about, a little bit of where they may have been feeling a bit lost post-show. Um, it reintroduces a sense of purpose. Our yeah. purpose is to get these numbers up. No, I think that's a brilliant approach and the kind of – I, I did my, when I prepped, I kept those big lifts in there previously and the kind of, the amount of recovery, I mean, they just wipe you out completely and they almost ruin your actual main hypertrophy and volume and they cut your volume right down. We know volume is absolutely key for hypertrophy. We know we want to stimulate hypertrophy to its maximum when we're coming into a show. So if those big lifts, whilst good on paper, are killing your volume, then that's probably not good for you. And I think if anyone's done them, like they, they tie you out for the whole day. You can't be as productive at work. You can't be as your neat non-exercise uh, activity is probably going to go down. And so that's all going to probably be a bad thing. And I guess that's why we see probably there's not many highly competitive bodybuilders that actually keep those really heavy compounds right towards the end of the, like near to their prep. Oh yeah. And, and if you look at people say for those, I know a lot of people do deadlifts on leg day. But say those people that do deadlifts on back day, um, if you start with deadlifts, just watch how the rest of your back training suffers. Yeah. Um, and, and then also, I, I don't even like keeping them in during the home stretch of prep because also I find it's um, mentally defeating for a lot of people. Yes. You know, they think, oh, you know, they used to be able to deadlift 500 pounds and then they're struggling with 315 by the end of prep, you know, for a few reps. And they just think, what? They have that moment where they're in the gym, they're like, what have I become? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I, I don't like to keep it in there because also, I, like you said, I want them focusing on the regular hypertrophy movements. It saves a lot of recovery for a variety of different movements where they can feel things working and provide volume. And then they don't have to be thinking about what, what, what once was when they were in their offseason hoisting giant numbers. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I I remember like the first month, I think I PR'd in my prep and then kind of months down the line, I was miles off that and it it was horrible. And actually, yeah, it hit me psychologically and I thought I was losing muscle mass. I, well, I probably was anyway, but like large amounts and yeah, it's hor a horrible feeling. Whereas if you can do what you're saying and kind of focus on movements that you can actually be productive with and feel good with, then that's going to be much more successful. It's going to cause less stress, which is important. Um, yeah, yeah. I, when, when I was when I was in my prep, 
uh, I trained with my brother a lot, my younger brother. Cool. And when I was when I was in prep, uh, in my in my last off season, I got to the point where I was squatting. I I got four fifty five for a couple reps. And I remember at the I I met up with my brother to train maybe three weeks out, and I remember we, I put two seventy five on the bar. And I eked out maybe four or five reps or something like that. I hadn't been squatting all that much, but we were just, you know, yeah. uh, I was with him, so I was going to do it. And it was like I was huffing and I was puffing from 275 on the bar. And um, and he goes, Jesus. He goes, all right. He goes, now, he goes, I, I don't know if I want to prep anymore. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, yeah, that's what happens. But, no, it, it, it dips dramatically. And, well, and especially if you stop performing the movement, you're going to see bigger drops like I did. But overall you're just um you're just not you're not going to be pulling those those big numbers like you were and i guess it comes down to the fact we're bodybuilders so we are like physique athletes we aren't kind of performance athletes and so we have to remember that we're going for a look not a performance outcome from kind of lifting heavy weights and strength isn't our number one goal so yeah i think that's really good to kind of move on to the psychology which we've almost touched on quite a bit already because we've talked about how they're really really linked but how is what's your best approach of kind of combating those post-show blues what do you kind of how do you get them to keep that intensity with everything um, whilst balancing things with like social life and things like that to give them a bit of kind of freedom there is there anything kind of you've seen traditionally happen with your clients that you found a method that really really helps them or any kind of yeah things that you've learned from past experiences yeah you know uh this is a this is a tricky one, but it's so important. It, it really is. Um, I'll say that first off, I don't have to deal with post contest blues in clients as much as I used to, because I, I'm in the, like we were talking about before we even started this podcast. I'm in the fortunate position where I get to pick the people that I want to work with because I have more people applying to work with yeah. me than I can usually take on. Um, and one thing I notice is that. Um, People who have bodybuilding as the only good things in their life. It's, if bodybuilding is the only good thing in their life, then you better believe their post-contest depression is going to be very intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I, one thing I always say um, when I'm looking through client applications, people that apply to work with me, I have them fill out a questionnaire. And, uh, you know, I, I, one thing I always say is that... Uh, Desperation and determination look very similar. Um, you know, wanting to win and wanting to be the best, and desperately needing to win and need to be the best. One is very good. One is not not so good mm-hmm. um, because uh, one of those, you know, can deal with failure and can deal with setback. One of them cannot deal with failure and cannot deal with setback. And so. Um, post contest uh is really going to be set up by what you do pre-contest um if if bodybuilding if you have centered your entire life around bodybuilding and there's nothing else good in it then you're setting yourself up for a fall yeah um if you've lost contact with friends i mean to a certain degree we don't hang out with our friends and our family quite as much as we do in the off season when we're Mm -hmm. in prep um but if you've just completely buried your head in the sand um, if you've let work performance suffer, if you've neglected the relationship with your husband or wife and your kids, you don't see your friends anymore, then you kind of come out of prep thinking, what do I have left? You know? Yeah. Uh, and so 
I'm going to say right now is during prep, you need to make the effort to be as normal as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it doesn't, it's not easy. I get yeah. it. I, I think we all know um, there are days where you're in prep and you just don't want to do anything because just living life seems to hurt. <laughs> um, but you need to put forth that effort. And so uh, I'm going to say that's the number one thing you can do is have other good things in your life post-contest. And then, and then you need to view, um, then there's another aspect of it is that you cannot view the sole purpose of your bodybuilding to only be about the way you look now. Um, the bodybuilders that handle the post-contest period very well, not only have other good things in their life, um, but they also understand, they, they derive joy out of the process of improvement rather than purely joy of the way they look at this moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I, I tend to be able to take on people that already understand that better yeah. from a starting spot. But um, I still take on people that don't understand that. And I, over the course of prep, I try to work them to that point. You know, I, I, it may seem like I, I try not to intrude in their lives, but I ask them about work. I ask them about their family. Um, and I try to get a sense for, you know, what else do you have going on besides bodybuilding? And um, if I get the feeling that they don't have anything going outside of bodybuilding, I start to tell them, you know, I think you need to go spend some time, go on a couple dates, you know, whatever it yeah. may be. Spend, uh, spend some time with your wife. One way I'll even do this, I'll even tell them, uh, I try not to use cardio, but I'll maybe put in some list cardio, low intensity, steady state. I'll say, uh, you know, twice per week, I want you to do 20 minutes of low intensity, steady state. Um, take a walk with your wife, you know, whatever it may be, because that becomes kind of uh, something that they can talk while they're walking or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, because I want to make sure that they have something left after the show is over. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, completely. I know. I, I unfortunately, I think for my show, I was almost prepping for about a year and it was my first time. So I, I didn't have all of these. I, I'd heard about how hard it gets and how bad it can be. And for the first half, it's, it's okay. But I mean, towards the end, it, relationships did suffer. And there's, there's a really hard balancing act between being kind of selfish because you have these goals and ambitions and you want to, and sometimes you need to be a little bit selfish, but whilst also being selfless enough because these people around you, I mean, it, they're your life versus this is a one-time event. Um, and I, I've done things as if for this season I've purposely looked and planned, kind of periodized my entire kind of contest prep to find like, okay, this is when there's like a wedding that I need to go to. I'm going to deload that week so I can kind of be feeling a bit more normal, things like that and planning ahead. Um, I think it's really important to keep these relationships going because like you said afterwards, like bodybuilding should complement your lifestyle. And I think, do you ever get clients that, say like their friends and family they don't kind of understand it do you have any approaches you can kind of help them with that maybe getting their kind of loved ones to understand what they're trying to do and kind of do you have any wise words for the, the listeners who might be struggling with such a thing um yeah you know the the biggest thing i can tell them is the more uh you can make bodybuilding less a part of their interaction with you the better yeah. Um, because they may never understand it. And so, you know, that's not, it's not, they shouldn't need 
to understand it. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? You know, um, I, I'll put it this way. Uh, I think we've all heard the jokes about vegans that can't stop telling everyone how they're yeah. vegan. Um, personally, I don't mind if someone's vegan, but if that's all they ever talk about, then I'm going to get sick of hearing that and I won't understand it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't understand being a vegan, but if somebody else wants to do it, that's cool. But if that's all they ever want to talk about, I'm probably going to have more of an issue with that. Um, when I'm in my prep, I have one goal in my personal life, and it's to have other people in my life, like my wife, um, they, their life be minimally impacted by my bodybuilding. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because, um, you know, my wife, and I, I actually do a seminar, I do a lot of seminars, I do a yeah. lot of speaking engagements, and um, one talk I do is about this, actually, Amazing. and some of the methods. And some of the methods that I use in my own uh, life, but my wife in my last contest prep, and, and every time I prep, I try to become better at minimally impacting those around me. And um, I think in my last prep, my wife gave me the best compliment I've ever had in peak week. She said, you know, besides for just being a little bit more tired, I couldn't even tell you were in prep. Wow. And I was, I was thrilled because that was my goal. That was my goal. And, um, you know, if, your family, you know, if your family doesn't understand bodybuilding or your friends don't understand bodybuilding, um, that's fine. But if that's all you ever talk about uh, to them, then they're going to get pissed off. <laughs> so, um, you know, I would say find ways to minimally impact their life or their bodybuilding because you chose this. They didn't choose that. Yeah. No, I think that's really important. And I guess, yeah, it's that's why it's important as a bodybuilder to have other things outside your life that are important to you and that you, I mean, why did you become friends in the first place with these people or they're they're your family? Like you have connections with them and you enjoy time with them that isn't related to bodybuilding. So you can do that outside of. And I think a lot of people feel a bit trapped because a lot often social events include food and then they can't necessarily have the food they want and things. But I think you can always find alternatives, find ways of making kind of I mean, most of the time, these people, they're your friends and they understand that maybe, I mean, food is important to you at this time and you can make kind of compromises. You can eat at restaurants that are maybe more kind of suitable to you that they can still enjoy. Or you can just pick menu items that aren't such kind of difficult food items to have. Like you talked about the steak and potato. Most restaurants, you can go and do that and you can still enjoy time with family and do that. Um, or it could be as simple as going and seeing a film with friends or playing on the kind of on a console or something like that. Just I think it's really important. And I think psychologically, it's important as well to switch off from always knowing and or thinking about bodybuilding and prep and all of these things, because then you can kind of hopefully turn off like hunger signals and those sort of things. So you can actually feel a bit normal, which is probably quite rare for a lot of people during their prep. Now, now I will say one thing is that I do see. Like you said, if there's a food-centric event, you know, whatever it be, a wedding or going out to eat, um, I've been in that situation where you're four weeks out and you don't want to, est- you can't estimate a meal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and you kind of maybe have to bring your own meal. And where, um, you know, that one thing that I think some people have to realize is that you sticking to your plan for some people will always make them uncomfortable. And I think we need to realize that it's important to remind yourself is that they're not upset with you. A lot of times there are certain people in life where you being so dedicated to something will make them uncomfortable because they can never be as dedicated to anything as you are to this. 
Um, so if somebody's making an offhanded comment or something like that, you may want to talk to them about it, but just always kind of remember that you're making them uncomfortable because you're so good at what you do. Do you know what I mean? Um, there are, that makes them feel insecure because you are, you are so dedicated to something and let's face it, everybody, everybody in life, uh, bodybuilders in general are a lot more driven people than the average person. It's just kind of the way it is. Um, and, uh, and when somebody sees someone else that is so disciplined and so dedicated, um, it's natural for other people to think, you know, I, I wish I could do that. Mm-hmm. And but as a result, it just kind of makes them feel insecure, and then they make comments or you know make you feel bad about what you're doing. So kind of just keep that in mind that it's not really about you; it's about themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think a lot of the time, I I think a lot of the time it is in our own heads as well that people don't understand or they're making snidey comments or something like this. And a lot of the time. Like they're perfectly happy with what you're doing. As long as you're perfectly happy and confident in what you're doing, then I think as long as you're there and you can enjoy the time with them, I think, yeah, that's a great approach to have. Um, we're kind of talking about off-season a little bit, and that is something I wanted to get into. Um, and kind of we've transitioned with our nutrition. We've transitioned with our kind of psychology. We're almost kind of repaired. We're at that six-month point. How does your, I mean, in terms of time away from the stage, do you have kind of, time periods in your mind in terms of like numbers of years between shows that you like people to have and i guess does that depend on advancement or kind of competitiveness uh yeah yeah you know i i think there's a lot of factors that will dictate how long your off season should be um i generally think that younger competitors should take longer off seasons and it's usually the opposite younger competitors want to yeah. compete all the time but those are your prime growth years um and i'd like to see you spend those years growing, yeah. <laughs> not dieting. Um, and I'm going to use one person as, as an example. A friend of mine is uh, Marshall Johnson. Yeah. Uh, Marshall Johnson's a professional natural bodybuilder. He's in his mid-50s now. Um, he competes all the time. And, I mean, we're talking 10 shows per year. Wow. And I talked to him, I talked to him about it. And, um, one, he's very lean, so he doesn't need to diet a lot to get into show condition. But, two, he even said, I'm in my mid-50s. Uh, Realistically, I'm probably not going to grow very much yeah. uh, with a long off season, so I'm going to live it up while I can, you know, and and compete as much mm-hmm. as I can. He competes at a very high level, if anyone has ever seen him. Um, so, you know, but if you're 22 years old, you have many, many years to step on stage. You don't need to be doing it all the time at this stage in your career. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so I'll say that um, I think bikini competitors can compete more often than bodybuilders because bodybuilders it's more physically taxing to get lean mm-hmm. bikini competitors don't need to get quite so lean they keep a little bit more body fat so they can they can grow uh in between these short periods because yeah. there's less of a negative impact on their body from getting to where their conditioning is at mm-hmm. and then obviously figure girl figure girls will be kind of in the middle of those two um i do have some bikini competitors that compete pretty much every year yeah. because it's not it's not very taxing to get to where they need to be at they can start growing again right after the show and then you know we'll get a good you know eight months growth time diet for maybe three four months and then right back to it um so bodybuilders i usually have them compete every two or three years cool uh, and so you know and for those that are listening they i think a lot of times i've seen people bodybuilders they will do one show per year and then they do another show the next year 
and then another show. And I tell them you don't need to sacrifice how many shows you do. If you do, if you compete every three years, do three shows that year, real quick, boom, 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 three year off season, three more shows. So you end up doing the same number of shows, you just yeah. do them less frequently. No, I think that the point I think I really wanted to touch on was the bikini competitors because I definitely see bikini competitors almost when they diet to stage it's almost like a bodybuilding prep they get really kind of kind of mentally diet fatigued they come out of shows they do have those post-show binges and it's kind of like well really it's not such an extreme body fat percentage that you should need to have got into that state and it almost should like you said like year to year you can do it because it almost just that cutting potentiates more muscle growth because now you're leaner more insulin sensitive and it's kind of like a nice little cycle that they should be able to go on but i do see bikini competitors they get really kind of psychologically stressed they have like they get those and, the problems but and you nailed it they, they to make it work they need to stay on point after the show they mm -hmm. can't have a week where they go off and gain a bunch of weight and and, and it can be done i mean it, it's uh i have a client I'll just, uh, her name is Jess Rogers, and she did her first show uh, last season, about November, and uh, she looked really lean, she looked good, uh, had a couple of second place finishes, and she said she wanted to compete again this fall, and I said, you know, you might want to wait till spring just to give yourself a little more time to grow, I'm not sure how much we can improve in only a year, and she said, like, I'm fine, you know, we'll, we'll just see what we can get, yeah. well, here, here we are in June, um, she didn't, she didn't even hardly gain anything in her post-show meal, you know, her day after, and we were able to just build, build, build. Now we're getting ready to cut down for her fall shows and she looks drastically different. I and mean, she's a, granted, she's a younger, younger competitor, but, um, uh, because she maximized her growth time yeah. and our diet time is very small because she stayed lean. She didn't go off the rails and gain a bunch of weight. And so, um, it can be done for bikini competitors. They can compete yearly, um, but they need to make sure that they're not having these wild swings and weight fluctuations. It needs to be really gradual, really steady, so you can minimize that diet time. Mm -hmm. No, brilliant. And when we're talking about for a bodybuilder then, and you talked about kind of the bikini competitors staying fairly lean, with bodybuilders, do you ever, how high do you let body fat percentages go? How, does it depend on the individual? Do you let some go a bit higher than others? Um, what, what's your general approach then? You talked about mini cuts. Do they come into play as well? Yeah. Um, generally I like to have weight ranges for each competitor. Um, and I kind of have to, I kind of have to shake my head sometimes because I hear a lot of, uh, I hear a lot of people always say, well, if somebody's 35 pounds over stage weight, that's way too much. And it, it, it's hard to give a, a specific range for everyone because, uh, let's like, like we talked about earlier. Your hunger levels and even your energy levels are going to be largely dictated by how your body perceives your fat cells, how filled your body perceives your fat cells to be. Um, everyone has a different set of genetics. Yeah. I think we've all I think we've all known those guys who eat whatever they want. They seem to just constantly be eating, and they have a six pack. Um, each person has a different uh, amount of body fat cells on their body. Um, uh, kind of the same way our muscle cells largely grow and shrink, mm -hmm. but we keep but we keep the same number of yeah. muscle cells. Uh, our body fat cells are the same way. Some 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 one person may have six billion body fat cells on their body. Another person may have twenty billion. That's why some people are inclined to obesity and some people are not inclined to obesity. So what 
spot your body is comfortable is going to be very individualized. Mm -hmm. And so with my with my approach to off season, um, I aim to find the leanest, comfortable spot for each person. Nice. Um, and then I stay within that range. And when I say comfortable, uh, I don't want them being hungry. Uh, I, I want them to feel full, you know, most days. They should be content. Um, I want them to be energetic. Uh, they shouldn't be struggling for energy all the time. They shouldn't need a ton of caffeine to get through the day um, on a normal day. I want them to be strong and performing well. Mm -hmm. uh, they, that's a given, obviously. And then, uh, you know, the, and I would say even sleep can be hindered if they're too lean. Yep. They should be sleep. They should be sleeping well. And then, lastly, is more of a psychological one. I want them to be happy with the way they look. Yeah. Um, I don't want them to feel like they're too fat, you know, because ultimately that kind of drags us down. If we all, I think we've all gotten too heavy, and you look at yourself and you're like, I don't even feel like a bodybuilder anymore. Yeah. And, and so, uh, so those are kind of my uh, prerequisites for what I would categorize as a good spot. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then I sort of tinker with it throughout the entire off season. Really, if I'm working with somebody for a couple of years, we push the limits push the limits of how high can we get their weight and see what happens with their strength. Yep. Do they get stronger at this weight? We bring it back down. Can they keep gaining strength while staying leaner? And we, um, you know, it's, it's an ever evolving. You know, people always ask me, well, at what point do you just stick with a maintenance diet? I never stick with a maintenance diet. I'm always going up and going down and we're tinkering and we're adding and we're subtracting. And so, um, I, I play around with it and I get feedback from them yep. about where they feel best at. And we go like that. I'm going from there. No, it's, yeah, I guess something I've, and you talked about it a little bit in how you're always tinkering, something I've personally experienced is after, and I guess this might be the same for a lot of competitors, is as you get more advanced, you get more muscle mass, you've dieted down, you've got to stage leanness. It's actually a bit easier to stay a bit leaner every single off-season, um, and then you kind of, it, you set yourself up for a bit more of a successful time, I think. Uh, you kind of touched on, I guess, set points and settling points and where the body feels happy to have a bit of homeostasis. Um, no, that's brilliant. And then as you edge, I guess, towards the higher end of that and where you're thinking, oh, they're getting a bit too fluffy, they're probably feeling a bit uncomfortable, their performance isn't as good. How do you go about incorporating that mini cut? What's your approach there? Uh, yeah, yeah. When it comes to mini cuts, I, <clears throat> I always kind of have to laugh because people think that... Uh, there's always one way, but when I prep, I prep people very slowly, um, very small incremental cuts, losing very slowly. Um, when I mini cut, I cut fast cool. um, because the main reasoning is that, okay, with a, with a bodybuilding prep, you're going to lose some muscle, but our goal is to lose as little muscle as possible because you don't have a chance to really gain that muscle back before the show. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we want to lose as little as possible. But during a six to eight to ten week mini cut, um, whatever it may be, we don't have to worry about that because if you lose three or four pounds of muscle, which isn't likely, one, you're not going all the way down to a super lean body fat level. So muscle loss isn't going to be as big of a problem right out of the gate. And then two, whatever muscle you do lose can be built, rebuilt very quickly because you're not going all the way down. Yeah. You're not seeing those giant hormonal drops you know, in testosterone you're not seeing the increases in cortisol like you were so you can probably rebuild that muscle in in a matter of a week or two um just due to muscle memory so i prep slow i mini cut fast cool no yeah i guess 
uh, it's like anything like the repercussions of something it's i i've used the analogy of like driving fast you can probably get away of driving fast for a short period of time but if you try and drive fast for a long period of time you're gonna kind of the potential for crashing and making mistakes and kind of something going wrong is much larger so you can get away with these short sharp mini cuts which is i guess when people think of mini cuts that's exactly what they are so no that's that's really good and i i kind of want to round off there i think we've covered some great things here kind of talked about the psychology of things physiology and then coming coming out into your prolonged off season and strategies via that and i think the audience are going to have taken a lot of value from this so i really want to thank you cliff and make sure everyone can actually know where to reach you where would you say is kind of the best outlets for them to find you obviously i'll make sure everything's in the description box below so people can kind of get them straight away Awesome. Uh, my website is teamwilsonbb.com. It's T-E-A-M Wilsonbb.com. And uh, they can get a hold of me through there. Um, and then they can find me on Facebook. And then also uh, my Instagram is CW Team Wilson. And uh, you, know, you can get a hold of me through any of those places. Awesome. Yeah, I'd say definitely, I mean, if unless you want to contact um, Cliff, definitely check out his Facebook and Instagram because posting almost, I mean, pretty much every day, um, really, really good educational information for anyone who's kind of a bodybuilder, physique athlete, or interested in that sort of stuff. So I definitely recommend you get on those. So thank you everyone for listening. Thanks again for Cliff for coming on the show. And we'll catch you soon.